Good afternoon, listeners and viewers. This is Ron Stefanski, host of Disrupt Ed. And today we are going to have someone with us that is going to bemuse you, amaze you, and intrigue you with what exactly transition and disruption is all about, what transformation is all about in this very wired world of disruption that we experience. This 5G wired technology enabled and enhanced and augmented globally interdependent world. It's a lot to digest. It's a lot to figure out. And so as we grow our Disrupt Ed community, we bring to you the passionate and the purposeful, the determined do-gooders out there who are not only thought leaders in this disrupted space of ours of world and work and learning, but they're also people, as you know, with a very high GSD index. At the end of the day, they're not only thought leaders, they get shit done. And today I am joined by a gentleman that, as you recall, one of my New Year's resolutions last year was to put myself out there and to start meeting people and creating heartfelt connections using technology and using uh, the platform of social media. And so I've been meeting people on LinkedIn. And the way I do it is really simple. I start following people who sound interesting and say smart and interesting things that I benefit from. And then what I do is a very technical process called that I call cyber sleuthing. And it's a more benevolent way of stalking someone, right? So I go onto their profile. I learn a little bit about them. And then I reach out for a coffee or a first date. And I say, you know what? We may have something to talk about. And that's who we're going to be talking about and with today, Jeffrey Roach from Core Education. And Jeffrey is one of those people. If you're not following him, number one, go to your LinkedIn and follow this dude. He is really, really interesting. He is a person who is the son of a nurse and is someone who leads with heart and has been a healthcare leader uh, throughout his career and working now in the healthcare practice for CORE and also working in workforce development. Jeffrey, thank you so much. It's so great to finally connect with you and bring you onto the show. Thank you, Ron, and thank you for having me and obviously Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. So let's get this thing started. So I want my audience to understand a little bit about how you've done a lot of big things. So in my cyber sleuthing, as I mentioned, um, you've worked for very large health core organizations. You've been a trusted advisor, a connector, a professor, uh, and you've done a lot of things. You're now with uh, Forbes Business Council. So you're a thought leader writing on these topics. And yet you started out with, uh, you know, with the moniker son of a nurse. So obviously mom played a great role in your upbringing and in your thinking uh, that you bring to your job. So let's start there. Let's hear the story of Jeffrey and how he started out uh, when uh, professionally and began this uh, journey. Yeah, well, thank you, Ron. And, and obviously, you know, there, there, there is a reason I start with a son of a nurse and obviously uh, for all of those individuals that are that are nurses or have had parents that have nurses or brothers, sisters, friends, loved ones, uh, we all know that nursing is by far one of the most impactful, uh, obviously the most trusted profession, um, but also one that that impacts each and every one of us. And so, uh, for me, you know, my mother uh, to this day and and even throughout my lifetime has not only been my best friend, um, but also has been an incredible uh, you know individual that has helped me. Uh, through every aspect of life, but also impacted me as a child. Uh, and I saw that as I would go to school and everyone say, oh, you know, my mom just had your mother deliver our baby. And so my mother was a, you know, mother baby nurse. And so very, very interesting. Um, 
Now, you know, I, I will say, you know, my mother is also uh, came here uh, from Germany in 1963. And so uh, obviously my Oma also had a huge impact on my life. And so those two individuals, uh, you know, by far, uh, without question, have always been uh, two of the most special, uh, not just relatives, but but influences on my life. Um, you know, to your point, uh, you know, went to college, uh, studied political science. Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to go into politics, did a lot of work around politics, uh, but did ended up doing an academic field study uh, at Lehigh Valley Health Network and, you know, fell in love with the idea of that I could become a healthcare leader um, and that through that work, I could build and, and improve communities um, because I knew I didn't want to be clinical. Um, but I knew that I could use the power of connection uh, and the power of, of building others up. And, and interestingly enough, that was something that uh, even as a young kid, I can remember I had an interest in, which was kind of that political part of me, the public service part of me. But then in college, it was really further developed. Uh, I went to Moravian University and service was a major component of our university. And so I think it, it, that influence continued. Um, and then, you know, Coming into my first job, interestingly enough, I served at the healthcare system my mother worked at. Uh, so my mother yeah. had worked there for many years. Uh, she mm -hmm. was no longer there when I started. But um, interestingly enough, you know, in healthcare, you leave your mark. Um, and so, you know, I'm walking around and everyone's like, oh, there's Gabby's son. And, and you know, I went into the labor and delivery unit and I could see, uh, you know, her colleague sharing with me the influence and impact that my mother had made. And so um, That's got to feel good. That's got to feel special. It, it was very, very special. And and honestly, um, you know, to this day, I look back and, you know, I look at the work I did there and, and the work my mother did. And I say, wow, we, you know, not that we not only do we leave a mark, uh, but the lives that were changed, the lives that were improved uh, clearly were, were really important. To your point, though, uh, what I found in my healthcare career was um, truly beautiful. Uh, you know, I was sharing with you earlier, I worked for a CEO uh, who uh, to this day became uh, the biggest influence professionally on my life. Uh, an individual who coached me, uh, an individual who knew how to hold me accountable, uh, an individual who challenged me. And so when I think of, you know, your comment early about disruption, um, you know, this was a disruptive leader. In fact, physicians in the organization didn't like her uh, because she was a nurse and she was a woman and she didn't care if they were going to come in and say, I'm the top revenue producing physician. She said, what I care most is how are our patients doing? How are our patient, what's our patient experience like? Wow. What are we doing? That's such a formidable experience, isn't it? Because in this disrupted world of healthcare, what we hear so often is that patients are not center stage. It's the doctors or it's the system or it's many, many other things. It's the healthcare providers or insurers that are, sort of driving the agenda. So to get to that patient-centered approach is really a challenge in many respects. It was, but you know, what I saw her do um, was, you know, she she really, uh, you know, she was the type of leader that understood what you needed to do. And, and so, you know, I saw her literally never lose that connection as a nurse. Uh, in fact, her scrubs were always there. In fact, there were times where literally we would be in a staffing situation. She would throw her scrubs on and she would go work it. Uh, go work, you know, a unit that did, that wasn't below her. And, and in a crisis situation, not only would she do that, but she would look at all of her direct reports and many of us weren't clinical. And she'd say, Hey, Jeffrey, you know what? You can't go be clinical, but you can go work a unit clerk desk, get on that desk and answer those calls. And there I would go and answer those calls. That's what we were expected to do. And so, um, you know, I saw somebody who, who wasn't afraid and wasn't um, above her title. 
she was always on par with her colleagues. Um, and so that was transformative. And, you know, my work there um, really changed my life, to be honest with you, because not only was it her impact and her influence, but she allowed me to get involved in community initiatives, to your earlier point about community engagement, that allowed me to um, not only demonstrate my passion, but really hone further into what I really wanted to accomplish. And, um, you know, started to really get involved in a number of community causes, homelessness, uh, really, you know, reaching different communities that were hard to reach, uh, partnering with uh, bringing together, you know, organizations that normally opposed each other. Um, in many ways, I became not only a connector, but also somebody who who could um, help other people realize their meaningful opportunities that if we came together, we could achieve together. And so a lot of that work is is just, you know, I look back and always say that if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I also wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Right. At the same time, you mentioned to me in our uh, other conversations that a lot of your leadership came obviously influenced from from this mentor, but also just this sense that you had to bring heart to the story. You had to bring heart to the equation and you had to lead with your heart. Maybe you could share a little bit more about what you meant by that. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So um, what I learned uh, particularly is, you know, some people call it different things. I mean, we hear servant leadership I mean, we hear, uh, you know, leading with heart. You know, I was fortunate um, uh, last year actually to go through uh, the uh, certificate program in heroic leadership at Santa Clara University, which was based off of and influenced by, uh, it's actually a masterclass uh, developed by Chris Lowney, uh, who obviously, as you know, is the chairman of the board of trustees, board of directors at Common Spirit Health, um, and also a well-known, uh, you know, uh, well-known leader in this space. And one of the things that's interesting is I was always intrigued by the concept of, of leadership even as a young child and studied it in college, uh, you know, was fortunate to lead teams at a young age, uh, all different ages, all different experiences. But what I learned to that point about, you know, discovering who yourself, uh, you know, discovering yourself is, is when it came down to it, the thing that I enjoy the most is being part of an organization uh, or, or a cause where I can help others achieve what I know they can achieve. And I can help bring people together and do it with a, with a heart-driven leadership. And so when I went through that program, uh, love-driven leadership, the idea of leading with love, uh, true, you know, agape love, that, that, you know, at the end of the day, my job as a leader is to help put my team on the right path of, for success, but also to help them personally as well. Um, and so, you know, for me, what I learned from my CEO uh, at our healthcare system was exactly that. Um, you know, my wife and I were just joking about this recently where we were talking about when we, um, when we were uh, young, uh, married and, you know, I went into my CEO and said, you know, we're kind of deciding where we're going to be living now that we're married and my wife's living and working in Philly and I'm working here and it's quite a bit of distance. And she said, so what are you telling me? You're thinking of leaving. And, uh, and I said, well, I didn't exactly say that. And she goes, I can read the tea leaves. Here's your raise. You're not going anywhere. Um, and that's a leader who really understood me. I didn't have to come out and directly say she understood me and she knew that um, that she cared so much. And, you know, I will tell you, this was a leader who would do anything for my family. Well, let's go back into this concept of agape a little bit more. I was uh, last year at a conference with Arthur Brooks from the 
uh, Enterprise Institute, American Enterprise Institute, and he wrote a book, Love Thy Enemy, and he talks about this. And we have reached a point where the disruption that people are experiencing brings a certain amount of anxiety that's turbocharged, if you will, by the insertion of acrimony, by the assertion of um, politicization of the conversation that people are having. And Agape tells us to kind of pull apart from that, to look at others as instruments of, you know, a greater power or however you want to look at it. But mostly um, what Arthur was really good at saying was we need to take contempt out of the equation. If we look at others with respect, if we look at others with compassion and we take contempt out of it, we're less likely to get involved in conversations where uh, we get snarky, where we get animated in a negative way. And it sounds to me like the leadership style that you've uh, inherited from your mentor and, and actually taken forward in the health organizations you've worked in and now at CORE is a lot about that. It's just bringing people to a different place. And I think, I think to your earlier point, in one of our earlier conversations, you were talking about the fact that amazingly, and I would agree with you on this, amazingly, there are still some really poor leaders out there. And amazing that with all this conversation about leading with empathy, leading, you know, people uh, being a coach and a guide on the side rather than a dictator, all those things are out there in the public mainstream. And yet still we find people not actually practicing that. So what do you think the key is for you? What did you find that made that a part of your leadership style that was self-sustaining, that was just became habit forming? Yeah, you know, in, in, in some cases, to your point, I think a lot of it also comes down to um, when you're a leader, you also have to be accountable. And so, you know, I was fortunate to have mentors that were, I worked with, but also served with in the community that if they saw I was veering off, they they put me in check. Um, and to this day, I have colleagues that I call my personal board of advisors. Um, and, you know, I would encourage any leader and any professional to have a personal board of advisors. Um, and the key to it is don't put just people on who agree with you. Put people on who you know are going to push you and they're going to challenge you. And um, that has really been the beauty for me. And 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 it has been so helpful and important. Um, and also when I hire team members, I often look to hire people who are not like me. Um, I want to have a diverse group, uh, you know, of all representation of ideas and thoughts and experiences, because it's really what I've learned early on in my leadership was, you know, I can remember leading teams where I was leading people who were much more experienced than me. Um, and one in particular said to me, I'll never forget the first day uh, the, the organizational change happened. He said, what are you going to do for me? I've had all these other leaders at this organization. No one has been a good leader. And now I have you who's 20 years younger than me. And I said, well, you know what? I am 20 years younger than you, but but I think we can do a lot of work together. And he said, good luck. I said, okay, no problem. You, you know, and I can remember I felt, you know, I can remember I reflected. I walked away and I thought, I've got two paths here. One, I could be a, ter a mean leader and basically say to him, look, I'm your boss, do what I ask or go. Or I could find a way to reach him that would show him that I'm different than everyone else that he's experienced. And that 
was because I was coached in that way. And so I walked out of there, found ways to engage him. And I'll tell you, I used to show up to his educational courses because he was an EMS educator. I would show up and show support. I would make sure that he knew I was there just to learn and to see the good work he was doing. Boy, I think you just nailed it, Jeffrey. It's it's going to someone with far more experience, and yet you're the leader in saying, you know what? Uh, we're going to flip the roles here. I'm going to learn from you because I'm new at this, and you're not sure I can be valuable. Help me to be valuable to you. Help me to understand what's going to help you. Um, I think that's the core of it in many respects, and I'm sure that's why you enjoyed a very respectful relationship with him. But let's talk a little bit more about the disruption in the workplace. You know, so uh, just this morning, I was on a Zoom call with a group of people, a cohort of about 20, 25 people. And we were talking about a poll that had been taking about people's preferences around remote work. And this turned into a 45-minute discussion, a very hot, hotbed issue right now. Can we work remotely? Do we work remotely? And do organizations take us back away from remote work? And I think that's causing a lot of the disruption. And to your point, I think it's going to require heartfelt leadership to help us through that. So one of the things that was pointed out in this discussion is you have a couple leaders, Elon Musk, Jamie Dimon, others who are saying, you know what, you got to come back. Uh, You're never going to succeed. We're not going to be successful. We have buildings for a reason. We have people working face to face for a reason. You got to jump back into that. And then there are other companies on the other extreme that are saying, "Mm, I don't want to do that because uh, the workforce is vulnerable and we cannot afford to have mass defections. And then somewhere in the middle is someone like a Mark Benioff at Salesforce who's saying, you know what? I understand we can't go back to a time when everyone was face to face, but here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the numbers. And if we're to hold ourselves accountable, our productivity is through the floor. So if we're going to work remotely, you're going to have to help me figure out how to make remote work work. And I think that's the honest uh, sort of conundrum that needs to be uh, painted for employees because it's not just a function of finding a place where, oh, they're going to let me work remotely. But how are we going to make that work with the work that we have to do? And I'm curious about your thoughts as you're seeing it at CORE and in your work in the workplace. Yeah. You know, it's such an interesting discussion because, uh, you know, it's coming at a time to your point where we're, we're having so much discussion around recruitment, retention, culture, future of work. Uh, you know, my, my two cents on this, in fact, I you know was just recently quoted in a Forbes article around this that, um, you know, I think employee employers that have piloted these types of situations, even before the pandemic, employers that pilot it, piloted it have actually found significant improvement in culture. Um, you know, and there are some professions where you can't, you know, obviously healthcare is one where pretty overwhelmingly, except for non-clinical administrative positions, you can't. But even healthcare in those areas still continue to do it uh, because what they learned is, is, is it, it adds a lot of balance to self-care. Uh, it can certainly add a balance to, uh, you know, the work-life balance, but also it can also drive down costs. And so from an efficiency standpoint, there's opportunities. For me, um, you know, I think when you have leaders who make decisions and say, you know, we need everyone back in, to me, I automatically come back to the fact that that's a command and control leader. There's a reason they want them there. Um, there, there. There's just a trust issue there. And look, I mean, 
the leaders that uh, I think are, are of that mindset are leaders I would never consider to be good leaders uh, and definitely not, would not consider them to be great leaders. And I would argue they're not in tune and in touch with reality because the, the, the fact of the matter is, is you have large organizations like CVS Health Aetna that have been virtual for many, many years with great success, phenomenal retention, and leaders who understand what it's like to lead a team like that. And so I think the solution, particularly for leaders who are uncomfortable with it, is to train them. Um, and I have a, a dear friend and, and colleague who actually um, served in the military, uh, you know, and I always say thank him for his service. He was, he's a Marine, uh, Dr. Travis Hearn. And Travis actually wrote a book uh, called Hybrid. Um, and one of the things Travis talked about in there is that leadership, when you think of hybrid, when you work remotely uh, or in person, how you lead shouldn't change. How we engage with the workforce should also not change. What we should do is focus on how we engage with them to make them feel appreciated, valued, and have the sense of belonging, whether they're in person or virtual. And if we create that culture, it doesn't matter whether you're working in person or virtually. If you're not a good employee, you're not going to be a good employee. If you're a good employee, you're going to be a good employee. It's really not rocket science. It's To me, it's, it's really a simple issue. Um, and I think, look, I think people are going to expect it. Uh, look, I will be the first to say to you, though, that um, I personally have never worked remotely uh, prior, uh, prior to the pandemic. And there is definitely things that I definitely miss. Uh, you know, the in-person hallway gatherings, um, you know, the, the fun that we would have after meetings, um, you know, the conversations you'd have after a team meeting, all those things. And, you know, so there's definitely those types of things. Now you can, you can address that. You can have some, you know, once in a blue moon, you know, a couple times a year, get together, client meetings, et cetera. But there's things you definitely miss. But by and large, as a leader that leads a virtual team, uh, what I have found is productivity, to your point about Salesforce, through the roof. Uh, very, very engaged, uh, phenomenal colleagues. I don't have to worry about uh, performance at all. Right. We're going we're gonna to showcase the work of uh, Karen Manja, who's the Vice President of Market Insights for Salesforce. And she's written a book. Um, I'm just giving her a little bit of a plug on your show here. Uh, but Karen's written a book, uh, Succeed From Anywhere. And she talks about this hybrid world. And I think uh, you're you're hitting the nail on the head that I hear, hear from so many people is I want a leader who understands me. And doesn't and doesn't boilerplate it. So I have young children. I have old children. We were talking with Marlena Sessions, the CEO of NovaWorks, and she said, you know, they went out to do a whole person pilot to figure out the needs of their community, and they were assuming the daycare was a part of that to help people get back into work. And what they found is, a lot of their constituent audience was past the point of daycare, so they didn't need daycare. They needed elder care for their parents, or they needed some kind of other thing. So. It, what that says to me is it's not a one size fits all. It's applying some individuality to the task of of aligning certain values that everyone's going to follow and certain accountabilities that we all have to follow, but then personalizing it so that um, what works for one may not work for another. And we have to be sensitive and nuanced about that. And I think that's where the secret sauce is from great leaders that we're hearing, uh, certainly on this show and part of the disrupted community. Yep. 
I would agree. So any last thoughts before we wrap this discussion, Jeffrey? You've done a lot of things. You've uh, learned a lot from mentors. I think that's a key takeaway for our listeners is to find a board of advisors. I, I, I just love that, having your own board of advisors. And, um, and if you don't have a mom that's like your mom, find one and bring them on. Um, I certainly have benefited from uh, several surrogate moms over the years. And uh, I will tell you that men who have strong women in their lives are better leaders for it. We just are. Um, that's become very clear. So any other additional thoughts on on how we look at this disrupted workforce and how we bring more to it? Yeah. You know, I think, I think uh, you know, to your point, uh, disruption is such a key word in there. And I think, you know, I'm encouraged in some ways, but we've got to move much more quickly. We've got to change the culture in healthcare. Uh, by and large, when you look at the culture issues, the retention issues, the recruitment challenges, a lot of it comes down to culture. Um, and we've got to really, just like in other employer, other industries, we've got to really focus on what does it mean to be a good leader and hold leaders accountable to good leadership. Um, and we have to do the same thing to help people see, uh, you know, through the trees that they can also be a good leader. We have a lot of work to do around these areas. And when I think about the future of work, I think about disruption. Um, and I think about the fact that we've got more generations in the workforce than ever before. I actually find that encouraging. I know some people are like, oh, no, here we go. You know, we've got the millennials that are lazy. We've got the Gen Z that do this. I'm a millennial. And I tell people all the time, no one's going to define me. I will define myself. And my advice to other generations is no one, do not let anybody define you. You define yourself because we have a lot to contribute. Um, and frankly, uh, what I have learned is uh, if we fo stay focused on the work that we do, make sure that it's contributing uh, towards our life's work, uh, the impact and the transformation and the disruption that can occur is going to be profound. But we've got to just continue to work together to make it happen. Very good. Thank you, Jeffrey. This has been a great conversation. I'm going to invite you back in a few months to check up on you again and to hear more. Uh, for our listeners and viewing audience, this has been Disrupt Ed, another episode with our uh, disruptor here today, Jeffrey Roach from Core Education. Please join us again. Become part of the Disrupt Ed community. Find us on LinkedIn. Join the newsletter. Listen in on our podcast and become part of this discussion about how we make sense of this amazingly, ginormously uh, disrupted world of work and learning. So thank you. This has been Ron Stefanski with another edition of Disrupt Ed. Talk to you soon. Thank you.